Here we go, guys. Sorry about this, but it is advert time. I'm going to now have an ad in front of the podcast. Uh, you can skip sort of 30 seconds ahead if you really want to, um, but I'm very grateful to have a sponsor supporting the podcast now, uh, and I hope you guys will continue to support that um, because it really helps me, me do it. But this podcast is brought to you by Slow Tide. Slow Tide, our company, they took a mundane but essential uh, everyday product, uh, a towel, um, so something that we use every day, and they've turned it into uh, something cool, something you like looking at, a piece of art. So Slow Tide work with artists, brands, and photographers to bring amazing designs onto their products. Uh, not only towels, they also have now applied this same logic to blankets, um, perfect for the winter. Those of you that have listened to the podcast and know me will know I love sitting and watching a film or TV. I ask every guest to recommend me some something good to watch. Um, and especially in the UK at the moment, it's pretty cold. Most of that watching is done under a blanket. Uh, most importantly, though, uh, Slow Tide are committed to sustainability. Um, all of their cotton products are responsibly sourced through the Cotton Leads program, and their polyester products are made from 100% recycled post-consumer waste, usually plastic bottles. So you know that by buying one of these products, you're also not affecting the environment. Uh, check them out at, at Slow Tide Europe on Instagram for more information. I'll be posting a fair bit about them on my Instagram as well, at the After Hours Lounge. Um, huge thank you to Slow Tide for supporting the podcast, um, and thank you to you guys for getting through this advert. And now, on with the show. Friends, hello. Welcome back to the next episode of the After Hours Lounge. Uh, this is my last episode of 2020. I actually haven't recorded an episode in a couple of weeks, so I've been really excited about this one. Um, another reason I am really excited about this one is I have my very good friend, uh, professional windsurfer um, and all-round uh, legend, if you've ever been to Vasiliki, or even if you're just a windsurfer in the UK in general, you will have heard of him. Uh, I am stoked to be joined by the Max Rowe. Um, Max, thank you so much for coming on. You've actually Thanks been for having me. Oh, mate, it's a pleasure. You've you, you've actually been on my list ever since I started this podcast. But um, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it later. But you've obviously just had a child at the beginning of this year, and um, yeah, yeah. we've timed it well, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I messaged you a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, "Look, I know it's been long enough now. Let's uh, yeah. let's lay it down." So I'm really you still uh, might hear some screaming coming from the other room, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have to. Yeah, muter. You've had to sound soundproof the yeah walls. Um, but yeah, no, I've I've been really really um, intrigued to talk to you. Actually, oddly enough, you know, considering what kind of passionate windsurfer I am, and you know that that industry is very much where I've come from. I've not actually. I think Adam Sims, our mutual friend, he's the only other kind of windsurfer I've had on to talk about it. So um, yeah, one of the big reasons I wanted to get you on uh, is to is to kind of talk about that. So obviously, we know each other very well. Um, but sort of introduce yourself to the listeners, who you are uh, and what you do. Yeah, so um, pretty much started, um, like my journey into windsurfing started back in uh, England where I've grown up in Colchester and Essex. My dad got me into it. Um, I was always like skating and mountain biking when I was younger and stuff. And then um, actually, like I always tell this story with how I got into it because it's quite it was quite like a defining moment. But I had this option to go windsurfing with my dad or go mountain biking with my mates one day. And I was kind of getting into windsurfing, but it was more about like doing stuff with my mates still. And it was still a bit of something my dad did. And I had I had this chance and I went mountain biking with my mates and broke my leg quite badly. 
yeah. like proper tip fib foot at 90 degrees and um oh. yeah after that we um couldn't go on the holiday we wanted to that winter so my dad was like, oh, we're going on a windsurfing holiday and we ended up going to club vass and that was when i was like um I think I would have been like 15 or yeah, six, 16, 16. So, um, yeah, went for the first time then. And then that was kind of my intro. Like that's when I really got like the bug of windsurfing and saw what freestyle windsurfing was all about. And, um, yeah, kind of was quite, um, tunnel vision from then on really that I wanted to pursue like a career in windsurfing. Yeah. Did you, was, did you, obviously after that, you sort of started learning and things. Did you, did you start learning back in the UK or, or, you know, did, was it just sort of holiday stuff? Like, did you go down the whole, like team 15, which is the sort of early children's intro into eventually becoming, you know, joining the Olympics. Um, did yeah, you? I, I was already doing all of that stuff. So I, I was kind of like still quite into the windsurfing like before that, but um, yeah, I mean, if, if I had the choice, it was still like doing, stuff with my mates like sometimes over going windsurfing with my dad if you like and that kind of all yeah. changed after after that accident and then yeah just the following summer really got into it with the focus being that we were going on a this is the first time we'd been on a windsurfing holiday all my windsurfing before that had been in the UK so yeah, yeah. Well, did you I always I always find this with you know talented people like was there a was there like a real light bulb moment where you were like oh mate I'm I'm getting I'm getting good really quickly compared to everyone else. Like I know you, you, you were kind of there in the golden days of Club Vass where I think, did you start working there when you were 18? But did, did, was there a kind of moment, maybe I'm, maybe I'm skipping two steps ahead, but was there a bit of a moment where you were like, oh, I'm getting quite good at this? There's definitely like a few years, yeah, so further down the line, because this, back then I was kind of still quite, um, when I first went to Club Vass, just quite basic level really. Yeah. But then, yeah, I did learn to Vulcan the, the year later on my flying fish course when I would have been 18. And then, yeah, my first season when I was 18 as well. And there was like a ridiculously high level there then. I mean, it yeah. was, um, you got Bubble, um, like a, already a tour veteran on the PWA, Simon Hurry, who was like easily like uh, um, Bubble's level as well, yeah. like not a sex successful in competition. But, and then you had to also, yeah, Colin, um, Marco. Yeah. Ollie, um, yeah, a lot of like really top sailors. So it's kind of quite, um, I don't know if I had like a light bulb moment where I was getting quite, um, felt like I was getting good, but the guys were like really encouraging me, you know, and they took like a real interest. And obviously as I got better, they were, yeah, like they definitely did their part in like, um, yeah, it was like more encouragement from them as well. But I did have a moment, I met maybe not a moment, but I kind of thought, wow, learning these moves, but you just, you never know when it's going to stop if you're going to hit a wall or anything, but yeah. I, I don't think I really like, um, yeah, I don't know. I was just like I mentioned before that kind of always had this tunnel vision, whereas that was what I wanted to do. So I didn't have a lot of doubts or back then it was just like, yeah. Yeah. When you're younger, you don't, you kind of don't, you don't have like the sort of, you don't have the history of like failure, I guess, when you're younger, do you? So you don't necessarily have that lack of confidence or second guessing yourself or not even, yeah. even, you know, with windsurfing, because it is, you know, an extreme sport. You don't have that self-preservation either of like, oh, I don't know if I want to learn that because it's a bit scary. You know, when you're kind of 19, you're like, no, I'm just, yeah. I'm just going to go all into it. I think I've, I've heard a story of, was it Colin or someone, they, they wouldn't let you come in until you'd landed a forward or something like that. They would literally... Yeah, I think it was, I'd done a few moves before the loop and it was, yeah, it was kind of time. That was Ollie, Ollie I think, shouting at me, calling me a fucking pussy, chasing me in the boat. 
Yeah. But, good, yeah. Good, good, strong clavass encouragement there, but it works. It obviously works. It obviously works. Um, yeah, and I think it's, when you're younger as well, it was it wasn't like make or break. Like I was, I was just having fun, really. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, I was just doing seasons and learning new windsurf moves. It, probably you put a lot less pressure on yourself when you're that age because it wasn't didn't need to be a career. It didn't need to be anything. It could have. It was just like having a laugh, and I wanted to travel and I wanted to go windsurfing, and yeah, it, was, it wasn't really like. Um, yeah, it wasn't really too big a deal, you know. So, and I guess, like, yeah, at, at that time, or even even you know, for my my kind of generation of sort of club vass as well, it's it's always produced like the other than like a couple of the other guys, like you know Adam Sims and stuff like that. It's always produced the kind of next sort of UK freestyle, you know, world tour talents, really, hasn't it? So I guess you having those guys, and then you being in all these amazing places, having you know Colin, and, and especially I think you and you know you and Bubble were always the kind of you were the two of that sort of generation, weren't you? That were, were, yeah. were going going off and competing together. So when was your? Yeah, it was kind of like footsteps to follow, and it was always like someone had done it before, you know. So you were kind yeah. of, yeah, joining in with. I was just joining in with what Bubble was doing, really. So. Yeah, and then what was the? You know, did you did you go? How did you did you kind of have to get a wild card for that first event? And then we we quite nervous for that after everything we we sort of just said about you just enjoying it. Were you? when you eventually got into starting competing, were you like, oh, I better start taking this seriously? Or did you just, did you just sort of keep going, oh, I'm just going to see how it goes? Yeah, I think first year, not a lot of pressure. So didn't really feel any of that then. Like, um, yeah, I got a wild card for the first event in Austria. And my first ever heat on the PWA was against Bubble. Oh, nice. enough, and he beat me. Yeah. Five, seven weather, freezing cold, northerly winds in Poddersdorf. And yeah, um, yeah, but then my second, I can't remember, we had a few events. We we had an event in Lanzarote that year as well and already starting to feel less pressure. And then I had a bit of a breakthrough moment that year in Fuerteventura, I came 11th, which is still oh, wow. like one of the results I'd be the most proud of because it was, yeah, it wasn't a lot of pressure on me and it just like, man, everything just happened. It was my first ever time there. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's definitely something I look back on, but that was with really little pressure then, you know, and not really taking it desperately seriously. I remember being in the in the carper pretty late with Bubble and Adam Sims potentially as well. Maybe Simsy wasn't competing that year, but yeah, I had Davy Sheffers the next morning. So I kind of like almost in my head written it off because there was all these yeah. like real superstar up and coming kids. I wasn't really like in, in the focus at all and um, had quite a late night, but then managed to beat him the next morning early on and had like a bit of a steam like running that double did like four or five heats or something and got up to like ninth i think so yeah. yeah that year definitely not um too much pressure or taking it too seriously i think i always edged on the side of like looking back at it now probably never really taking it as seriously as i could have done but i i know myself that i i would have got demotivated with it as well if it wasn't that much fun so um yeah i always try to keep like the fun element in it but yeah. i um yeah, definitely felt like more pressure with it in the later years and, and certain events as well, because it's we always seem to go back to the same tour stop. So we'd have this routine of being in like Austria, Fuerteventura, Sil was pretty much the pattern. But I mean, back then it was a little bit more diverse and we and we had some really exciting years mixed in then as well, where we ended up in the Caribbean and in Vietnam and events in, in France and indoor events in Poland and stuff. But yeah. Um, but yeah, the events where I'd like compete a lot, like in Austria, I ended up like, yeah, really um, struggling there with like 
the anxiety when you n never know when it's going to be windy. Like in Fuerteventura, you can wake up and you can you know you're going to sail a heat that morning. Whereas, and it's a completely different ball game in Austria when you, yeah, there's a lot of distractions there anyway because it is a bit of a party event. Yeah. So you've always you've always like tipping that, yeah, for, for trying to find a balance there between enjoying yourself and being prepared for the competition, and then and then the fact that it kind of just felt like it could get windy at any moment, mm -hmm. and um, having a few close calls. So I always used to get like um, feel a lot of pressure in Austria or just like anxiety. It was just a bit. Yeah. a bit tough really and also in silt was a lot harder because it was like multi-disciplined events so um you, you never know you wake up one morning like i'd often sleep in, in the van in the car park it's pretty cold you wake up and you know it's howling when you're sleeping in the van yeah and you go down the, and you just wake up every time it's windy and you're thinking right we're going to be competing and you never know like oh we're doing slalom we're doing wave are we going to run the women first and so those events were would um play harder in my mind where it wasn't kind of like set that we we're just doing a freestyle competition and and that's what we we're going to do but yeah. uh, overall i definitely saw more like the um the fun side of it is yeah it's funny like when we we're having that chat before you said it seemed like maybe i was more like one of the professional guys but in in my mind i was definitely more one of the guys that was having a lot of fun with it yeah i mean I don't know. I mean, it's, it's difficult for me because I've, you know, in those earlier years, certainly we, we didn't really know each other. I, we first sort of became friends around sort of 2013. And that was when, to me, that was when you were really like hitting your stride um, as a pro. That was sort of two or three years in. You'd just been signed or you'd been on North and Fnatic for a, a year or two by then. Um, but that was when you were you were really at, um, at a professional level. And I, I remember, you know, seeing um and then obviously as i've got to know you i just remember thinking you know you especially when we used to see you sailing vast you're like oh he's literally just doing he's doing a heat and then he you know you, you say you get 40 minutes to windsurf on your time off in in vast when we weren't there and you'd go and we'd just watch you and you'd do the same moves and you'd do it and this is not uh, you know saying anything bad but you do that and then you do it again and then you do it again and then you do it again and then you'd go to fort aventura or any of these events and we'd watch you and we're like oh he, he's just done what he did before you know yeah. so you could always, I guess, maybe you've always had that switch side rather than, you know, other athletes that maybe do kind of, you know, take it full serious. And I remember you telling stories of, you know, guys going to bed at, you know, six o'clock and right, I've got to get a full night's sleep and all this. But if anything, I think that makes you more stressed and more anxious because you just, like you said, you just put so much pressure on yourself. Whereas maybe that's why you kind of looked so professional and chilled out is because you were looking at it as a, you know, actually, I'm I'm just going to go out and windsurf and do something that I love doing, you know, and yeah. ho hopefully come out well, you know. No, definitely. I, it, it was always a bit of that. And I'd, I was always quite, I tried it the other way as well, you know, like being a bit more serious and, you know, like, oh, well, I, won't, I won't have a beer the night before the event and see how that affects me. But you end up just lying, <laughs> lying in bed, like nervous rather than just chilling out. And that, that didn't work for me, you know, not, not saying that I needed like five beers to go to sleep, but it's just like <laughs> keeping up with a, a normal routine but um now it's funny you mentioned like the north fanatic years because those, those are probably when i felt the most pressure yeah but that's what i wanted to get on to yeah is yeah you're, you're dealing with like a lot more um stuff within the team because when you like when i first got the deals and got sponsored and stuff you're just i mean it's so grateful for for any support that you get and yeah. um obviously chat it changed like the landscape for me completely once i started getting paid by windsurf brands to actually do it as well you know like freed up those don't don't have to go home and work in a restaurant all winter to afford like a, 
a little trip before VAS and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, you obviously want to keep that going. So there's like the inside the team politics, whereas where you need a finish in relation to, to other guys that are on the, are like in the same team as you at the events as well. So felt, felt a lot more, more pressure in those days, I think. Yeah, definitely. And then yeah, that, that's kind of what I want to get because, you know, those of you listening that do windsurf or no windsurf, you'll know it's, it's a fairly small industry, but it is still an industry. You know, there are still pro athletes and, you know, like, like yourself, um, you know, that do get paid and make a living from it. They don't, you know, you get these national deals and people say they're sponsored and they go, right, well, actually they're just giving you 200 quid off some, some gear, you know, but you know, like you said, you were getting paid. They were flying you out to Maui every year for photo shoots, things like that. I guess what was, was there a kind of, you've said there was a bit of pressure, but was it also, were you also a bit like, I've, I've fucking made it here, you know, I've done it. Or did that pressure kind of always override it? No, I definitely took the time to enjoy it. I'd yeah. say as well still. <laughs> yeah, I did. Like, especially when the Maui trips first started coming about, because that's like a, a dream. Yeah. I meant, I still remember the moment I got the first email where I was kind of like asking the North Fanatic guys, like what, you know, I was already on a, on equipment deal and like, what's up for the, I was messaging with Craig, the Fanatic brand manager, like what's the kind of, next year looking like for me I kind of could do a bit more gear and he's like oh look actually we want to start supporting you properly we've given you money if you go to events and and we want to bring you out to Maui and I just remember like the the stoke then as well was yeah very high yeah great feeling yeah mate it must it must be so cool it must be you know it it, it in kind of intrinsically in your in yourself it must it must make you pretty proud um because it's you know that's basically all on your achievements you know, like physically, I, that you've, you've built that completely for yourself. You know, it's it's not like running a business or anything like that. It's literally your your kind of personal brand and you've built it to a level where a business goes, right, actually, we're going to spend, you know, the best part of thousands of dollars to go, right, we're going to fly you out to Maui. And like how you, you used to go for quite a while, didn't you? Because didn't you, you actually got quite into the, you know, the gear development side as well as, you know, so every year they do the photo shoots in Maui, but you used to go either side, didn't you? And and sort of yeah you know, kind of yeah started off like the first opportunity i got to go i was like you, you get a set amount for the trip um it's not going to cover six weeks in maui but it will cover your flights uh, and some car rental um but i was kind of like yeah of course tied it in with the opportunity to go there for a bit longer and it was such a good shout to do it because it did give me the opportunity to meet um kai hop for north sale designer and um yeah get to know him a little bit and then we we um it was when like North were first developing the freestyle, like a proper freestyle sale as well. Yeah. You know, like before that Goito was a bit frustrated with what he had. And um, he, he was there in Maui as well. And he was, um, yeah, obviously he knows what he wants, but there was a bit of a communication gap there between him and Kai, who was also not, not especially a great communicator. Um, so I kind of like just slotted into this role there where, where I was like useful because I was kind of in between Goito and Kai and trying to just, yeah, get the best out of the sale and what, and what we want, what he wanted for, from it really. Yeah. So it worked out well, like staying out there for a bit longer. And then that led on to, yeah, more opportunities where I got to um, be yeah, more involved with the testing. And then Kai would support me to come out there in the, in like the wind, in like the, yeah, the autumn months. Yeah. So I keep back saying fall because that's what they were used to call it, the Americanism there. Go, go, go out in the fall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he'd support me for that, really, to come out and help him with the testing and 
and with the feedback and Goito would be there sometimes he wouldn't um but yeah th those were amazing years as well the times yeah, when I was yeah. doing like it was like three three over three months a year normally out there kind of like in two trips so yeah yeah always, you like this is something I really wanted to get into with you because like like we said you know I, I sort of looked at your your stats the other day and you you basically spent you know you spent three or four years consecutively within the top 15. So really good results. I mean, how, how big was the fleet then? Was it 42? Yeah, yeah, it was always, it's yeah. always been around 42, but like yeah. over the course of the year, you'd maybe, you mainly only have like 30, 30 people that would attend every event, you know, yeah. so it would have a fair ranking. Like a lot of the yeah. years when you've only got three events, you, every result stands, or as soon as you've got four, you get a discard. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's still, it's still like 30, 30 plus guys. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, you, you spent, you know, you were like 11th, sort of 14th, 15th, that kind of thing. So, but you, you never quite got into that kind of real sort of world title contention, top five sort of thing. But from, from me looking at it, you always seem to attract kind of outside industry sponsors, which is quite a rare thing um, in, in windsurfing, but you, you know, you were sponsored by the, the cat phones for a little while. Um, I think you were sponsored by like a, a sort of skincare brand for a while. I think there was a couple of others, but um, I can't sort of pull them out of my hat. But and, and even then within the industry as well, you were always, you know, you got a lot of magazine covers. You got a lot of media coverage. Um, you know, I said you you kind of commentated some of the events when you weren't competing yourself. You know, was was that something that you always kind of wanted to do as well like did you kind of have in your mind like I'd quite like to be I know everyone you know wants to be famous but did you kind of want to be that kind of poster boy or did it just did it just fall into it I mean it sounds like you've got a very open mind and you know with the opportunities in Maui and things but um, was that a kind of deliberate thing? I guess it was all like working towards like you know you do start to treat it more like a job even though I was having a lot of fun with it and you want to like put your out put yourself out there and put yourself into situations and networking and stuff and a lot of that stuff came out came about very naturally I definitely went down the route of like um putting my proposals into bigger brands and stuff and and that but actually a lot of the stuff that came out was just through being involved you know and commentating in the booth because if you feel like you get knocked out of an event and you've got North Fanatic paying for you to be there and paying for you to do the tour that year that you can at least offer a little bit extra as well from doing the commentary so it's just about trying to give yourself like um you know like another element rather than just the competing side really yeah I mean, like you said i never made i never really cracked the top 10 although i had a couple of results up like at the tail end of the top 10 yeah um but yeah it's, it's funny thinking i think i perhaps enjoyed the victories too much on the way that i'd then kind of be content where i got to my standard yeah. kind of setting it's i don't really know the it's it's interesting now like in a being in a position to kind of almost like look back on it but yeah um, yeah, I definitely feel like I enjoyed the little victories, like, cause you're winning a, a heat in the windsurfing format, you know, you're like head on head with someone else. So yeah. you've got that each one that you win and you jumping up a place is a victory. It's not kind of like you go out and you, you do a display and then you're marked accordingly, you know, so yeah. you do get the reward of like winning. And, um, but for me, yeah, maybe I enjoyed the other, the, um, getting to my kind of benchmark too much that I then kind of take my eye off the ball or not really push it enough for, to be to be kind of the guys at the next level really but i but i think all of, all of that stuff and the um which led to like more support from out the industry was just from like you know just being motivated to kind of get myself out there i don't know if it's about being famous or um but it was kind of just trying to get the best and so i could carry on getting those kind of deals just so i could make it last as long as possible really 
I think that's it. You know, any any kind of it, it, and something I've realised. You know, I remember we always thought, oh, it's windsurfing, and you know, it's a small industry. But actually, you look at pretty much any pro sport or any you know a pro athletes within a sport. There, there's there's a the the roof isn't very high, you know, it can end, it can literally end like this, whether it's injury or, you know, just the next guy coming through and just being a lot better than you, you know? Um, so I think, I think you, in, in my brain, looking at it, I mean, I remember, you know, I was a far, far lower level than you, but I had a few kind of sponsors back in the day and things. And I certainly remember kind of thinking, taking a leaf out of your book of just being like, right, we'll just try and add as many strings to your bow as possible. And, you know, things like, like, you know, commentating, like, I, I never actually thought about that of actually Northern Fanatic are paying you to be there. So you might as well make yourself slightly useful at the end of the day. I mean, you know, yeah. I do this podcast now. I love just sitting, sitting and chatting shit, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. it's quite fun. Um, it was a lot of fun. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, the guys also in the office at Bordesmore are sitting there watching the event as well, you know, and who are they listening to talking about it? And then you're yeah. on the, yeah, in their mind, you know, and it, and it what I did have a lot of fun in the commentary booth. I've had the pleasure of doing a bit with Ben Profit as well, which was amazing. Yeah, um, me and Bubble covered quite a few events. Um, and Phil, yeah, no, so it's, it's always pretty good times. Yeah, exactly. One, one shocker actually in the commentary booth where I was in, um, in I'd volunteered, not really volunteered, I would been roped into doing it in um, Poland. I don't know if you remember the indoor event that yeah. happened there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't qualify for the main event because it was so hard to go switch in time to do something. And I'm not that good on like starboard tack, especially not being propelled by a fan in a swimming pool, it turns out. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't land anything on starboard. Like had a few good runs, nearly qualified with what I did on port. Yeah. So I didn't qualify for the main event. And you're, you're in like the Polish, in like the, the national stadium where they hosted like the European football competition, you know, it's a massive venue. And I got asked if I would assist the Polish commentator in um, in there. And it was such like, you're in this like room, like a studio room up a top on the top of the stadium. Like yeah. you can't hear the fans, you can't hear the windsurfing or anything. And you're like looking down at it on like a really funny angle. And this guy was so awkward and weird. And I, I really like, I ended up, it was really hard to like get excited about what was happening. Yeah. And I took so much grief from like, I remember Ricardo the next day, like, oh, you could have got a little bit, like more excited about that back loop that I went for, man. Like when he was watching like the replays and stuff, and it, it turned into like this fiasco where it even got like slated in the in the PWA like AGM meeting at the end of the year. Like how bad the commentary was. I was I wasn't like the main focus of it, but I was just like this tag along for the for the event. So that was yeah. that was the only time I really wished I hadn't done it. Yeah, that's it's a pretty weird situation to be in, though. I guess you know being. Yeah, so so far away from from your normal like habitat of an event, you know, being in a stadium. Yeah. If anyone's not seen indoor windsurfing, type it into YouTube. It's it's pretty cool, but it's it's yeah. pretty weird as well. It is. It was more yeah. And this guy I was with, he was he didn't have a clue about windsurfing and was like really enthusiastic at the wrong moments. It was just like completely threw me. There's probably some funny snippets online somewhere. Yeah, mate, I'll have to go back and. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember. I'm glad you haven't seen it, to be honest. I've heard about it. <laughs> I thought I was going to ream you out on this. Uh, <laughs> and then what's it, you know, what's it, what's it kind of like for you 
for you sort of looking back on it now i mean i don't know you know obviously as i said you know you've you've got you've got a, a baby girl now and you know potentially your your kind of situation has changed i mean we'll get into that later but are you are you kind of planning and they've they've changed the format as well you know i I'd, I'd, actually I'd, i don't know what they're going to do after this year because obviously there's not been a tour but um you know what what's it kind of like i mean you you know you you had a very very big sort of sponsorship change in 2016 um and all that stuff you know what's what's it like kind of kind of dealing with that you know essentially i don't want to say being dropped but you know kind of becoming a free agent and going back on the market um what, what's that like that that was a real hard point actually when i lost the deal with north fanatic because it was um it was like a couple of things like piled up on top of each other and um but the, the way it came about was like the most disappointing thing and i've had like comments from people like both ways that even like other riders being like like fair play for coming out and saying what i said about it you know i didn't I just know that it was an am amicable split i came out and said my feelings on it and other people saying that you know you never you don't want to close any doors kind of thing yeah um, but... yeah looking back on it i'm grateful for my reaction and it, but it was a tough time it was like i was i was being supported but I was always, you know, it's always tough. You never know if you on a one year, you're always on a one year deal with them pretty much. So you ne I never knew if I was going to get a deal for the next year, but they'd always assured me that you're going to find out in kind of July, August, if you haven't got a deal for the following year. Mm -hmm. Now I'd had an all right year on tour. wasn't great. I was lined up to go to Maui to do the work on developing the sales. And then I'm like, it's like a week before I'm going to Maui. My flights are all booked. I've got accommodation booked. Yeah. Then I get an email. So this is like the, yeah, already like well into October. And they're like, oh, sorry, we can't support you anymore, you know? Yeah. Like just like completely out the blue, like no indication whatsoever running up to it. Yeah. And uh, having been also in the main guy from North's office, like earlier on in the year in May, in like March or April, and he'd kind of assured, he'd up my deal because he was grateful for the testing work and kind of assured me that they were going to sponsor me for another year, you know. So it was kind of, of course, it felt a bit harsh and it was it was a tough pill to swallow, really. Yeah, I bet. I ended up going to Maui anyway, had a week on the water and then broke my ankle. <laughs> oh, man. And so then I'm looking for a sponsor whilst I'm on crutches, sat in bed. Yeah. I saw out the trip in Maui, which was great, but... Yeah, it was tough. And then I'm then I'm coming back like, and yeah, of course, you can't find something like that overnight. And the deal, I was kind of so convinced that, I don't know, maybe like narrow mindedly, I kind of saw myself on North and Fnatic forever, you know, because of yeah. the, and like how I, it was more than like just being sponsored by the brand. I was in there with Kai, the designer, and I kind of saw it as being like, I'd be on North forever, you know. Mm. I didn't really like for, even think about joining another brand or looking for other sponsors or having other options. So I hadn't really like, done the networking that I'd done like five years before yeah. to get into a position where I knew quite a lot of guys in other brands. So I was really a bit, a bit lost really for a while. Um, but actually, actually turned really good. And thankfully like Simmer came along and I mean, at that age, then I was like 26, 27. So mm. to then they came about with a three year deal, which was pretty similar to, to what I was getting from North Fanatic. So it all, all worked out pretty well in the end, but um, yeah. I'd say even though, I did have another deal come about. It came about. It definitely like knocked my confidence. Still, it was a real. It was definitely a big blow. Yeah. Did that? Yeah. I mean, did that kind of make you? I guess it's difficult because it's kind of everything you've done has been, you know, with the windsurfing and things. It's not like you, you know, you didn't go to uni. You know, you're not one. You know, didn't go to uni in the meantime and and that sort of stuff. So 
you know, and I guess because you've done all the extracurricular stuff, you're kind of like, well, I'm, you know, I'm building a career here. And then you did go on to Simmer and, you know, you've developed the whole freestyle line for Simmer as well. So you still got to do all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it must, it must have caused quite a lot of anxiety, especially with an injury as well of going, actually, if I do get signed by a new brand, I can't, you know, it's not like I can go and get the new gear and get them a load yeah. of media or, you know, start performing for them straight away. Um, how did you, how did you kind of cope with, with that sort of, you know, or if there was any anxiety, but how, how did you kind of deal with that? I don't know. <laughs> I was pretty angry, to be honest, like yeah. really angry about it. Like, you know me, I can get a bit of a rage on occasionally if something bothers me, but normally it's quite short lived. Um, I'd say this was like pent up for a lot of time. I held a lot of like um, resentment towards the guys at North, uh, especially about it, like not particular Kai Hopf, but the guys that had assured me otherwise and told me that I would get notified in time and, yeah. At the end of the day, like with Fnatic, I feel like they were kind of, I hadn't had as many promises from them, It was, but, but I definitely was really angry about it. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, because at that age as well, like it's quite different to when you're like 21, 22 coming into the freestyle fleet, you know, I was already one of the old, older guys, like there's yeah. a lot of guys around my age, but you're looking at it also, like if you don't get a deal for the next year, that's it, you know, that and then your lifestyle's yeah. over and then you haven't been to union, you haven't done all this stuff and and then like just how drastic a lifestyle change you're potentially looking at because yeah. I'm still really excited and looking forward to traveling and being involved with the development of windsurfing stuff and yeah, yeah of course it was a cool opportunity in the end to um to get the to do the stuff with Simmer I mean it's bit it was a, always a bit different you know the stuff I was doing with North where you're like on location and testing it's quite different to like getting ship sales and and giving feedback so yeah. um but yeah no great looking back now, like grateful something came out of it and yeah, probably, and still don't regret my public outrage about like the way in which it happened with North Fanatic, really. No, I mean, I don't, I remember reading it. I think we were in Cape Town when you put it out and I remember, I remember reading it and, you know, we were all like that, that, that all seems very reasonable. And I think, I think there is a lack of that. And, I, you know, I, it would be interesting to, to talk to, um, you know, kind of other windsurfing, especially, you know, in terms of windsurfing, freestyle is definitely the smallest discipline and the one with the least amount of support. So I can imagine it's something that's always frustrated me is that everyone always toes the line so much because they're so worried about losing their livelihood. Um, so I remember, I remember all of us thinking it was pretty refreshing for you to be like, actually, no, fuck you, you know, yeah. without, without, without saying fuck you, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. You know, well, you, don't worry. From the emails I got from the guys at North, it definitely they they definitely took it as a fuck you. So it was it got the message across. What was yeah, can, can you give me an exclusive? What was the deal? Were they were they threatening to sue or something? No, nothing like that. Just um, message from the guy at the time at North who I hadn't dealt with for that long. There, I had a really good relationship with the other team boss, who, um, but this guy had been there for a year and just like sorry how I how I feel like a victim and all of this stuff. And I didn't even bother replying to him because yeah. I didn't think I needed to really. Like the fact that he'd come out and emailed me like that again afterwards just proved my point about the whole situation, really. Yeah. Um because he there was no lack, there was no understanding from their side in his email anyway. But then but then actually I did hear from the guys um that I knew within the Fanatic team at the time that they had actually spoke about, well, look, how do we avoid making people feel like this again you know yeah that's good that's yeah. good there is a little bit of a culture of like actually maybe i guess maybe we did sort of mess up a little bit because it's i mean it's difficult it's so easy for a brand 
and I mean, maybe this doesn't necessarily apply to windsurfing as much because it's a smaller sport, but it must be so easy for a brand to be like, yeah, cut him, you know, cut him. We've got to get rid of him. We've got to think about budget. But I guess, you know, there's maybe a bit of a naive thing to say, but they don't realise, you know, it's it's literally your livelihood. It's literally your, your job, your whole plan for the next 12 months. I find it mad yeah. that they that only, only one year, that's so insecure, isn't it? It must be so nerve-wracking, you know, yeah. especially competing. I'm not, I, I, I definitely wouldn't be able to handle it. Maybe it's good that I'm not that good at windsurfing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'd absolutely crumble. It must be, um, must be, yeah, really, really nerve-wracking. But I mean, you know, and yeah. especially for you to experience that considering the amount of, you know, kind of professionalism you put into it. And I know, I mean, I see, I see a lot of the content or whatever, you know, um, interesting to get your thoughts on kind of how social media is playing a role now in, in sort of being a pro athlete as well. I mean, it's, you know, I listen to the the WSL podcast. They talk about it a lot and all this of, you know, should it is it is it as good as it used to be? Where you know before it was all about magazines and kind of longer form, you know, videos and stuff. Like I remember in 2012 or something like that, before we knew each other, and your kind of five minute video from Brazil coming out, and it was like it like broke the windsurf internet. You know, it was a much it was like a full on sort of production, you know, of like five five minutes. Come, was it Josh Wilmot that made it? Black Lab. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. And you don't necessarily see that as much anymore. Like people just put out kind of 15, 20 second sort of clips on, on sort of Instagram things. Do you think, do you think that's helping, helping kind of riders, you know, keep, keep themselves relevant or, or do you think the old way was better? Um, it's, it's a tricky one. Cause it's kind of like two sides to it because within the windsurfing and specifically the freestyle, it, you know, they're supporting freestylers as well because they see that, yeah, they're a good image for the brand and it looks radical, but yeah. a lot of what they have to do like has to relate to sales. So from like a business point of view, you see it like they're not selling that much freestyle kit. Yeah. These brands are like um, North and Fnac at the time are owned by big, bigger companies, you know, and guys sitting around a, a desk in an yeah, office. Yeah. Knowing, well, you need a, you're making this much money you know, you've sold this much kit, like look at your outgoings here with the team and stuff, you're going to have to cut some marketing costs, you know? So they've definitely like all the windsurf teams, I think have really like, yeah, trimmed the fat, if you like, yeah. like the over the that period really of like the last five years, there's much smaller teams from all of the brands, you know, I wasn't the only one to, to get, to get cut at that point. And um, it's really hard to, I think with the freestyle when they can't like see, like there's not that many people into it. They're not selling loads of freestyle boards. It's hard to justify. Yeah. Now, even if you can keep like your personal brand alive through social media, that definitely that doesn't still resonate with effort windsurfing brands not selling many freestyle board products. Why they're going to be the ones to sponsor you? So then you're in this awkward position where who who is going to sponsor you? You know, like even though you've got a good following on Instagram, like you still need to be selling something for someone pretty much to to get the support and you're still at a level where you're not really like, you know, those pro surfers at the WSL with hundreds of thousands of followers, yeah. windsurfing still quite niche. So your follower base doesn't really look that high, but. No, it's, I mean, it's rare, to be honest, it's rare for windsurfers to have over 10K in my opinion. Yeah, it is really, isn't it? Cause it's a bit of a niche. I mean, guys do, but. Um, yeah, but I mean, only, only your, only your real kind of top five, like yeah wave sailors to me and then there's yeah. a few there's a few other guys that have kind of found their little kind of niches within a niche if you will you know there's like like bows for example bows muller who he does yeah. he's really jumped on like the foiling and the new wing foiling sport and he's he's developed his own niche and then there's that italian wave sailor who is just all about positive vibes 
um, as well. I find it a little bit overwhelming. There's too many emojis. But, um, you know, he's found... So it's his- more like influencer style, isn't it? Almost exactly. a little bit. Well, thank yeah, you. That's, that's a good way of saying it. Like yeah. a person, like a wild personality who is just, yeah. It's so great, those things like Instagram about, so everyone can just appreciate the best of bowels, really, isn't there? Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I, I have, I've got so much time for, for the guy. He was he, always to this day. I mean, you know, bowels is easily one of the best uh, windsurfers in the world. And I remember in, in Cape Town when we went out there, and obviously we'd hang out with you and we all go to the lake and you basically got the whole top 10 sailing in one place. And I always remember bowels being... You know, other than yourself, Bows being easily up there with probably the friendliest of them all, and probably the one with you know the most famous one, but um, yeah. maybe not results wise, but easily the most recognizable face. And he was always the friendliest. Even last year in Fuerta, I haven't seen him for a couple of years, and he sees me on the beach. He's walking down for his heat, and he's like, Sandy, what? He's like, what the fuck are you doing here? You know? Yeah. You know, he's he's yeah, he's a he's a real he's nice a guy. Bad. I had a really cool opportunity earlier this year, actually. I went to Switzerland to commentate for Yakla, Positive Vibes. vibes. And, um, yeah, I got to go. So, Bows was at the event, and Levi Siver was obviously, like, someone I'd grown up, like, watching windsurf and yeah, legend of the sport. Um, so, I was doing, like, behind-the-scenes coverage, and Yakla had invited Bows and Levi out and had the opportunity to like hang out with those guys, go snowboarding with them. And like Bows was doing mad stuff, like with the sail attached to his board. And um, yeah, re- really cool weekend with those guys. That was, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it must be, yeah, must be so cool to, especially, you know, for you, because you kind of came into windsurfing, like all, all things considered, you came into windsurfing really late, didn't you? You know, starting at kind of 16, you asked most of the other guys in the, that were probably competing with you they all probably started when they were six years old and there's all that you know there's the, yeah. the beautiful story of their dad putting them on a board when they were five years old and you yeah. know taking them out in there so it's 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 pretty amazing that you you've kind of done what you've done in such a short time um yeah it's a funny one i was always told that as well when i was like 16 17 and we were like had aspirations to you know like looking at the guys competing, all the other younger guys with us were like, oh, you're never going to get as good as those guys because yeah. they've been doing it since they're like five or six years old, you know, and you kind of also took that as a given as well sometimes at that age. Do you think having, um, I mean, don't want to get too, you know, too too into it, but do you think having that kind of club vast uh, backing um, really, really helped you with that? Obviously, you know, I remember speaking to some of the pros when we were in Cape Town and they were like, you guys that work in Vass have a way better life than all of us. They were like, you don't have to compete. You still get really cheap gear. You get to spend five or six months in one of the best places in the world. All this. Do, do you think having not just the support network, but the opportunity to just, you know, be in vast, do you think that kind of really helped accelerate you rather than having to just pay and go on three month trips to places? Definitely. Cause I think it's easy to get like distracted, you know, if you're only like we were in a windsurfing mecca in its own right, if you like. So you're kind of, it's all about windsurfing all the time. Whereas yeah. if you're back in, you know, like normal life and the people you meet every day today, not everyone knows about windsurfing. So you're not like in the bubble and it's easy. You see a lot of guys like fall out of it, you know, like very talented sailors start competing and then kind of like dwindle off and do other stuff. And because you get other opportunities, yeah, it kind of keeps the focus pretty much windsurfing orientated, doesn't it? All the time out there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's literally the the, the air that people breathe in, uh, in Vast. It's what makes it such a magical place. If anyone hasn't been to Vast, then regardless of whether you windsurf or not, I highly recommend that you, uh, that you, that you go. Um, so kind of wanted to, to, you know, move, move on a little bit. So it was, it was Cape Town 
2016, we were there when you go to Cape Town for the winter. So we were there 2016, 2017. And I remember you came up to me. I can't remember where we were. And you were like, oh, Sandy, I've got this weird lump on my stomach. Feel it. And I was like, what? And you were like, poke this. It feel, you were like, it feels like a tennis ball, doesn't it? And I remember poking it and I was like, I've got no idea what that is, Max. I really don't know what that is. But I remember we were like, you, you didn't seem very concerned about it at the time. Um, but no, it's, it's funny, like looking back, it's almost like embarrassing that I was a bit so blasé about it. But, very blasé about it. But, but it was, I was being blasé about it to you guys and just letting you guys know about it, I guess, because it was on my mind a lot. Yeah. Um, but I had had like scans in the UK and like checks and seen a doctor and stuff. And I'd, I'd been constant, I'd been reassured that it was nothing. I mean, the scan I had that year before I went to Cape Town, the guy yeah. told me that it was my stomach muscles and I was like, but it's not my That's what stomach said. muscles. Like I, the first time I noticed it was after the summer in Vass, I'd been down to Cornwall and I'd been surfing and I'm lying on my board and I could feel something connecting with my board. Mm. I don't know, inside my stomach. It's hard. No one would have, not many people hopefully would have experienced that, but it, it was like, yeah, you could feel something inside. I could feel something under my stomach muscles connecting with the board that was almost like throwing me off balance you know when I'm lying on my front and that that yeah. got me like poking around and like oh actually hang on there's quite like a, a very round but like quite significant lump and I saw a doctor that was like yeah you know that it does feel like some kind of abscess tumor first came about then oh mate that must have been um, I already had Cape Town booked so I rushed to get a ultrasound was what they were prepared to do mm -hmm at that point rushed to get it done it was in some dodgy car park in Clacton that I'd just because it was the only appointment I could get I think yeah, they were yeah. doing ultrasounds for for pregnant women and I managed to sneak in an appointment and yeah the guy was just threw it off like no it's just your stomach muscles I assure you don't worry yeah I'm like great Cape Town it is you know but in, yeah. in the back of my mind I probably knew that there was something more more serious going on more pressing um, and then you, because I, yeah, I remember you being chilled about it, but I did, I mean, I, did, I, did, I did, if I try and say that I thought more about it at the time, then I'd be absolutely lying. I definitely didn't. But looking, looking back on it now, do you think you were kind of saying that to almost kind of will it, like, you know, saying it for yourself to be like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Like, I can't imagine, you know, your, your partner, um, your baby mama, Valerie, I can't imagine, yeah. I can't imagine Valerie was, um, you know, I'm sure she wanted you to get it checked out and get it get it yeah. fixed and stuff. Were you? Do you feel like you were putting a bit of a front up, kind of for the boys, a little bit of like, you know? Yeah, definitely. She was definitely on me to get it checked out. You know, but I'd kind of done the ultrasound, and it was also the news you want to hear. You know, you want to know that it's nothing, and especially when you got three months in Cape Town booked. That yeah, you're <laughs> you're you're to ruining that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I definitely took it as the news I wanted to hear anyway. But really, I think deep down, yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of wanted people to know about it really because it was like on my mind and yeah and yeah she was definitely like oh it's not normal but you're also doing it as like, has anyone else got anything like that or is that <laughs> <laughs> is this weird is this just me or yeah, yeah. Then... I, felt, I, was, I felt quite fine the whole time really I mean looking back I think I was like fatiguing easier and um right. yeah. just to like bring on the story a bit more because it so it turned out like that winter that I then did a trip to Maui after Cape Town mm -hmm. but I had a doctor's appointment in between and also like pushed again like you know what is it and I saw a different doctor and the guy felt around he's like I can't really feel anything I'm like what, what do you mean it's there and he's like 
I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it if you I was like look I'm pretty concerned about it so I managed to push to get an appointment with a with a, like a surgeon in yeah. the UK and then I'd so but in the meantime I went to Maui for a month or something yeah yeah um and there I was getting pretty worried about it I was drinking all this kombucha this fermented tea out <laughs> there thinking it was some like intestinal like just blockage or something yeah, yeah. um I was drinking shit tons of coconut water and whatever else i could get kind of flush your system out yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> apple cider vinegar whatever i could um but knew it was pretty bad there and i was yeah i was probably feeling quite tired and like looking back now i'd also started eating quite light foods as well i wasn't really eating heavy stuff yeah um, got home saw the surgeon who also poked around and said he really didn't think it was much and he thought it was more of a physio related issue all right so now um it's already like the spring and I'm in um, Austria competition in Neusiedler, say this time, the first time it was there instead of Poddersdorf. And there's this physio that I'd known who'd done some work on my ankle before. And um, there was a bit of downtime one day. Went to see him just because they said, oh, it's physio related. He felt it and he was like, oh, it's a shame I don't have my ultrasound scanner with me, but bear with me. I want to take you to like the radiologist's unit in the town. I was like, okay. And I kind of phoned Valerie and was like, look, this guy, I don't know how serious he thinks it is, but he wants to take me to his radiologist place. Obviously she's Austrian. So she's wanted to kind of come along and be involved and yeah, hear what I had to say. And I was in this place about 10 minutes later. I mean, and five minutes later after that, they've got the ultrasound out and they're pretty much telling me already then that I've got quite a significant sized tumor somewhere in my abdomen. And I mean, I was almost grateful, looking back now, so grateful to get the news there yeah. because it was like five minutes later and I'm in a CT scanner. Like if I, I was in the UK, I, d I don't think I would have like had that quicker turnaround. Yeah. And of course, when you get the news, you've got tumour. You don't really like need moments to to dwell on it to like find out how serious it is. It was already pretty, um, pretty, serious, pretty quick. So they got me in a CT scanner to see like where it was attached to. Yeah on whatever organs were effective and that that was probably the scariest like fit like half an hour of the whole thing actually but um Sitting, waiting. yeah wait and it was only half an hour you know people in that position often not, don't have half an hour you know you get told that and you have to wait for scan results and get referred for your next appointment or whatever so yeah um yeah quickly after that they could already tell me that yes i had like a really big tumor it was like at the time they were saying like 10 centimeters and it was just it's attached to the tissue that connects your intestine to the rest of your body in the in the mesentery tissue mm -hmm. and no other organs look infected or your lymph nodes look fine so it was already pretty reassuring and quite likely that it wasn't cancerous because if it was that big and it was cancerous then it would have already been they would have been able to see been it in trouble yeah 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 but it was still obviously a big question mark about what the hell it is what's it doing there and what and why and and it shouldn't yeah, yeah. really be yeah you definitely need to get rid of it kind of thing fuck that yeah. must that must have been i think i remember you talking about it but like that that must be up there with your kind of scare, scariest moments in your life of when they first say it and then even if it's just half an hour if anything that makes it worse because you're you're probably just sitting in a waiting room i guess you know kind of twiddling your thumbs whereas i guess if it's a bit longer it, it's it's kind of shit because you've got to wait longer but you can kind of just go right well I'll just you know go back to normal life I, I, maybe i can't decide which one would be better almost I don't know, in my mind, definitely getting it done quick is the thing to do because yeah, you true. can't go back to normal life because it is on your mind, you know? Yeah. But, yeah I've been on my mind, like, already, like, what if, worst case, you know? And, um, 
yeah like obviously my it'd been a big talking point with my parents and with valerie and we'd all been talking about it together and you know and talking about trusting the opinions i'd had from the doctors and trying to live off the positivity from that and but of course i was a bit concerned that it could be something much worse but yeah yeah, i mean thankfully it would it turned out it was just a benign um lump it's like a desmoid tumor now they can grow back and um and actually like where i had it grow it turns out is quite a favorable place to to have one so it can grow like inside the muscles of your stomach wall and stuff and then it's really miserable and people end up um still on like um having chemotherapy and radiology to treat them because it spreads so thinly like once it's in the muscle yeah it spread quite a lot and you people have like the whole um stomach muscles like down one side removed to try and get rid of it and still have to have chemo and radiology so um, I was really fortunate where it was. It was quite an easy snip to to cut it out. But yeah, there was a bit of drama, of course, getting to that point with having it having it all cut out. And um, yeah. yeah, decided to stay in Austria after the care I'd got then, and was thankful that I could I managed to um, manage to get it done on the European yeah like health system at the time because they deemed it to be something that needed to be removed. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember. I, can't, I think I remember you, you know, I don't know whether you announced it on social media or whether maybe we, I think we were in VAS by this point, weren't we? Because, yeah, you were in, you were in Austria, yeah. yeah. So we'd have, we'd have been in VAS and I remember you, I don't know whether you either texted Ollie or did I, did you did you kind of announce, I don't think you announced it on social media, did you? I think you literally, you maybe texted a few of us and said, look, this is happening. I think I did like once, I can't remember if I announced it, like I kind of felt the need to say something about it like once I kind of had a path in sight for having it removed, you know? Yeah. And I knew that it was quite unlikely that it was cancerous and, yeah. and all of that. Yeah. I did denounce it, but I definitely spoke to guys like Ollie beforehand. Yeah. About I mean, it must've been, it, you know, even obviously in terms of a prognosis or, you know, whatever you call it, that's about as, as good as it gets given your situation, you know, it's not cancerous, it's fine, but it must've still been pretty terrifying knowing, right, I'm going to have to get this thing taken out of me. And I mean, all, all I remember is you arriving in VAS in, I'll, I'll say late June or something like that. You know, you turned up, you turned up quite late that season. And I remember yeah. you arrived and you looked, you looked like a completely different human to the person I'm looking at right now in the camera. You must've been, I, I, I can't remember what you said, but you, you were so skinny and you were so pale and you had this huge, I mean, this is not me being mean, but you had a huge scar up your, up your chest. I mean, or on your, on your kind of stomach yeah. and things. I mean, what, how, yeah. What, I, I mean, it's, it's something so, I mean, thankfully it's something so far removed from, from my reality. Um, so, I mean, what, what was that like? I mean, what, how, why, why did all that happen? Why did you lose, lose all that weight and things? Was it just the sort of trauma of it or could you not eat for a while? I de- yeah, I could. So I couldn't eat because so when they took it out, it ended up being um, like, I think it was like 17 and a half centimeters and it weighed nearly a kilo. So oh it was a lump and like entangled in my, in the small intestine, which thankfully you have a lot of, but it was so entangled that they couldn't um, just take it out. They had to take out like 50 centimeters of the small intestine as well. Right. So yeah, couldn't eat for days afterwards, although I was so hungry. They said it was a good sign, but I was almost like prepared to steal a banana off the guy next to me when he fell asleep, you know, like that kind of, that kind of hungry. Um, but yeah, and then I just, you know, I couldn't lift anything with heavier than five kilos for six weeks with a scar like that. So it was pretty intrusive surgery and they, they actually took out my gallbladder at the same time as well because I had a small polyp in there. So right. for that, I had to like reach, like lever up really hard and like go under the ribs. Um, yeah, yeah. 
to get it. So it was quite intrusive. And I don't know if I've ever shown you the pictures. No, you haven't. Oh, maybe, maybe you have when we'd had a few beers, but I don't mm. remember seeing them. But... But yeah, like this cage fit, like my ribs were in agony for uh, for m- even months afterwards. Yeah. That I was fine again, you know, and you realise because it's all like locked onto your rib cage and like levering you open from there. So yeah, yeah. it was a bit, it was a big surgery. So it was a big deal. And they still like tell you, you can't be too relaxed about it not being cancerous until they actually do a biopsy and get the results. And they didn't want to do a biopsy whilst it was still in there in case it then caused it to burst or spread around or. Yeah. So um, I was still waiting for the results of that and really just bed, bed bound, you know, like yeah. just lying in bed for six weeks. So yeah, I dropped like 10, 10 kilos. I think it was, I was pretty gaunt, wasn't I? Oh mate, it was crazy. I remember because I was I was eating my lunch. I was at the staff, the famous Vasiliki staff table, and I was at the staff table eating lunch. And I saw Valerie first, and I was like, "Oh, Max is here." And then I was like, "That's not that must be the driver or something." I was like, "Where, <laughs> you know, where where is he?" But yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. But it was, you know, again, it's one of those things. It's great. It's great with hindsight. I mean, how did you did you feel kind of weird after that like were you a bit self-conscious of the way you looked and things like that or were you just was there kind of more of a different perspective of actually I'm just fucking stoked to be here yeah definitely not self-conscious really at all I mean it was more just a it's like events like that just do bring you it's just sometimes it's a shame you need something like that to kind yeah. of like bring you back down to earth and realize how like fucking grateful you should just be for like every day you know yeah. And it was definitely like one of those moments where you're just like, well, actually everything's pretty fucking sweet, isn't it? Like yeah. couldn't, care, couldn't care less really about having a scar or not being able to windsurf or, or, do, or doing whatever, you know, it was all, yeah. Yeah, it, was, yeah, well, I, yeah. it took something like that, but it was just, yeah, it was, yeah, good, good. To, I think of it like looking back, like afterwards, like good times, really. I mean, there, there was a bit of a scare, like, so that summer, whilst I was still in VAS, there's a bit of a question mark, like, um, why you have that type of tumor it can be related to this condition where you have a lot of polyps in your colon yeah so i still had to um i was still and i decided not because i'd had the surgery just started feeling good i didn't want to go back to the uk um for the colonoscopy and and deal with all of that in the middle of the summer i wanted to enjoy the vast season so i made the call to um to wait until the end of the summer to do that yeah so um yeah, uh, I was still living with a little bit of like, because that's also quite a life-changing condition, you know, if I'd have, if I'd have found out I had have had that. So yeah. I'm still kind of living with a little bit of like, oh, I hope it's not that, but at the same time, just being like, yeah, just grateful for everything, yeah. really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, is, it is interesting you say that. I mean, in the in the context of, of when we're recording this at the end of the fucking shittest year in, in uh, well, in our lifetimes anyway, you know, and mm. I think, I think, you know, I don't want to talk about, you know, COVID and stuff too much, but I think that's kind of given us all a little bit of, of that kind of perspective that you were given then of actually yeah. how good was it just to be able to go and sit in a pub with your mates or how lovely was it to go and enjoy a movie in the cinema or, you know, all that sort of stuff that, that we've been denied this year. Um, so I think we've all been dealt a bit of dose of perspective and I think you're right. I think it is, it's such an important thing to have. Um, but I often, often it comes out of something really shit happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. Yeah. It's just taking stuff for granted, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I remember you like, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a brilliant video. I, I probably, I'll actually, I'll put, I'll put it up when I, when I post this podcast, but one of your, was it, was it done with, with Sun God or was it just done with our, our friend Miles who, who's a, yeah, a, a it was with Sun God and Miles made the clip from that summer. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, Sun God, who, who you know, uh, it'd be interesting to chat to you a little bit about Sun God. But Sun God are a, a sunglass brand, and they've they've become really, really big. And you've kind of been there since since the real early early doors of um, of their that that brand. Um, and you know, you're you're still one of their main kind of you know athletes today, and you know, very much the the face of the brand for, for looking at it, you know for me. Um, but they they produced a clip with our friend Miles of kind of you talking about um you know this all, all the all of this that happened to you and it was in it was done in vast and it you know they showed the first time you went back out windsurfing again and, and all that stuff and it was it was really cool i guess that must have been a really great moment for you kind of making that clip yeah it was it was yeah it was it's funny because it was it was almost like looking at it now it was quite soon to be like talking about it in that light you know because it wasn't really like all over and done and recovered by yeah. then it was still like very early on in it um but at that, at that point, you know, you're quite emotional about the whole thing because then you're really like feeling that perspective pretty hard, you know, and just grateful for family and um, and people around you and all, all your mates and stuff. So I, don't, I haven't watched it back for quite a long time, but oh, really? yeah, those, those were special moments. Like I remember the first session and yeah, I think yeah, I think I windsurfed like around my birthday that year for the first time. On I think it was, I, think it, I swear in my brain, I think it was your birthday. Or... Yeah. I can't remember. I think you you just went foiling, didn't you? I think. No, no, I was on a. Oh, maybe I did go. I think I was on a four four and a blast one hundred though. And oh no, like, you were. That was it. Yeah, that was it. I was going to say you definitely weren't on your free yeah. kit. I remember that. No, no, I couldn't let myself. But yeah, actually, I remember you saying to me, you were like, "Oh, I'll just do a shaka. I won't be able to not do it." Yeah, because I could, but actually, I couldn't have done it. It was really good not to, because the stomach muscles take a long time to heal. You know, once. Yeah, well, that happen. yeah. Yeah, I tried to do a few chop hops, but I just couldn't lift my legs aggressively enough. So, yeah. no, you, no strength there to even pull my legs up, really. So it was already a push to be windsurfing, I think. Yeah, but I, mean, I did try and do my best to take it easy for a while with that one because I'd had enough injuries so I'd rush back from that had gone the other way. Yeah, well, I mean, and then you know, at the at the end of or the end of the tour of that year, which I think is you know sort of a very you know end of September, early October time, you actually you ended up actually competing in the last event of that of that year as well. So, yeah, I think you kind of you kind of rounded it rounded it out quite well, I suppose. No, yeah, it went all right because I so I had the colonoscopy booked for like the week before I was going to seal to compete in um in the final world tour stop and yeah. and yeah it was like still like you know also my early years with simmer so you know they supporting me I'm on a three-year deal and then all of a sudden I've got this serious co um condition potentially yeah and didn't attend any events and um so, so we really wanted to do was that? I felt a bit of pressure to do it and yeah. yeah I had the colonoscopy a few days before I went and got the all clear and all good from that so managed to go to silt on a bit of a high that it, it was all good really and I was just going to get six monthly scans but you know even if it did grow back it was going to be like a watch and wait kind of thing and yeah, yeah. since then it, it hasn't grown back but even if it did like in the past it, when it was growing I wasn't in much pain so I was always quite fortunate with it so no that's good yeah, no, it's it, yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of com compounded on top of that. You're you're almost well, I don't know. You were a bit worried about your like what we were saying earlier about your career of like fuck, are Simmer actually going to turn around and say, look, you know, we really like you and everything's great, but you're not exactly doing much at the moment. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's cool that they it's cool that they kind of kept you. I mean, it would have been pretty shit if they'd got you know if they'd canned you because of that, wouldn't it? But it just, uh, yeah, yeah, it would have been slightly different circumstances. <laughs> yeah, I think you could have think you could have had a bit of a go. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, mo moving on to a, a, a slightly uh, less but still very concerning uh, health issue, and it's something that myself and, and both you struggle with 
Um, and it's definitely a bit of a taboo subject. I talk about it uh, a lot. Um, and that is losing your fucking hair. <laughs> uh, and I, I talk about it a lot. I want to, I want to talk to you about it. We've, We've, you we've know, had a lot we've, of banter about this over the years. Anyway. We've had a lot of banter. Me and you, me and you have both done, um, you know, Speed Week for a few years with a, a guy called Dave White, who's a, an absolute titan of the the windsurf industry, uh, both literally and figuratively. Sorry, Whitey, but he's <laughs> he's a real legend. Um, he actually suffered a stroke a few years ago, uh, but he's a real hero and he's he's an ex sort of world speed record holder. And he does a thing in Vass every year called Speed Week. And me and you always used to do it. And I remember there always used to be the joke of like, oh, no, I didn't want to go faster than you. My hair was going to blow off, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think it's good that we've been quite open about it. But like you say, I've definitely, yeah, I've had harder times with it than others. Yeah, so. Well, definitely. I think it's 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 one of those things. The, the big thing for me, and, and I mean, you know, you – you you've always had long hair i mean i had long hair on my first season at club bass and then and then i cut it all off i don't really know why i cut it off but then i just started having i always had kind of you know medium short short hair we'll, we'll say um and now now i gloriously rock a buzz cut uh, which breaks my heart every day i look at it but i'm getting used to it. um <laughs> i'm still hanging on to the long hair mate i'm still um yeah so we've both gone down two very different routes with it. You're 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 still holding on, and I've I'm I'm not saying my one's better, but I've I've, <laughs> I've shall we say uh, embraced it a little bit more. Whereas you're you're sort of holding on to it. But I think getting getting into like the actual psychological thing behind it, and I think for for men that it's not happening to, and for women, I I genuinely don't think they quite understand. Like for for a couple of for a while, it it really like beat me up. I think I think it was 2017 slash 18 before I shaved my head and had the buzz yeah. cut. Since then, I've kind of made peace with it. And actually, a lot of people are like, Do you know what? You actually look, you know, you really suit that hairstyle and all this. So I'm like, well, it's not gonna look any different when I'm bald then. But I think before that, it, it really kind of beat me up. And it because I've always had this identity of being a, a windsurfer and you know, surfing, I've always had a tan and all this stuff, and all this, I, I was kind of worried of losing that because suddenly I don't have this beautiful head of blonde hair anymore to go along with it um i mean is that is that something that you kind of is that the bit which you've struggled with or you definitely know? feel like it's kind of like an identity thing don't you yeah. i've always had quite like sticking out sticking out pointy ears as well so it's like a great way to like shield those things from the sun as well wing nuts take take the edge off the them getting burnt at the back and the top so um yeah. it's been good for that but i've yeah i've it, you do feel hard done by, I'd say, has been my feeling with it. And when you look in pictures, it's like, especially windsurfing and certain angles okay. of pictures you see. Like when I look at myself on like some of the Fanatic North shoots from 2016 in Maui, even compared to like the year or two later, like how wispy it all of a sudden gets. Like there's not a lot of hiding it when you're in the water. No, especially when you're especially on, when you when start on. to get a little bit sunburned through there as well. But, um, yeah, dude, I, I have to put sun cream on my head now. Yeah. I've managed to I've managed to get a little bit of life back with the old regain. Yeah, you told, you told me about this. That's interesting. But I read a thing saying that it, it apparently it only lasts for five. It, it's only effective for five years. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a year in, so I'm all right. But I'm not like doing it religiously. But I kind of let Valerie, my girlfriend, as as my gauge on this is that because I've said I've proposed like right, I'm ready to go short hair, chop it all off, and she's been the one that no no it's not that bad yet you can yeah. you can hang on to it so, so maybe i will look back in the future and go 
ask her what the hell she was going on about. But um, I still yeah. think I've got just enough to to blag it with my my new little tufts that I'm getting from the regain spray yeah. in there. Your whole, I mean, it's you know, it's one of those things, and it's it's funny. I, I remember in like 2015, 2016, I was looking at my hair and I was like, oh, it's really, really bad. Oh no! And then I look at it now, and I'm like, I literally had a full head of hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then I chat to, I was th this weekend just gone. I was, um, I was on the South coast. I was with, with our friend, James, James Hoare. And I was, we, we were windsurfing together and stuff. And I saw James and, and I was chatting to, I was just chatting to James about it all and, and all this. And James was like, if I looked at you, I wouldn't even think you were losing your hair. I just think you had really short hair. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of it is definitely in our brains rather than, and I think I, I think once you're losing your hair, you notice it way more in other people as well. Like I watch films now that I watched when I was a kid and I look at them and I'm like, Oh, he's bald. He's bald. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I want to see him again. See how much hair he's got, you know, and You've I been watching like Jason Statham movies. Have you? Well, yeah, I've just finished uh, five seasons of ballers and pretty much everyone in it is bald and they're also really cool. So I'm like, Oh, maybe, maybe I'll be all right. But I think what's funny is that we have always had like people to chat about it with as well. Like me, you and um, yeah, Pip famously as well. Our mate who's also balding quite seriously on the back of his head. So we yeah, always had like, he's got, he's had, he's got the worst deal there. I think that's the worst one is having the old landing, the helicopter landing pad on the back yeah. of your head. Like we, me and you, me and you are very similar. We're just, I think we're just general thinning, which is kind of good. Like, you know, you can, you can kind of hide that. Um, yeah, no, in fact, thankfully, like Sun God are very happy with pictures of me wearing a cap and Sunny, so it's worked out <laughs> all right for that deal. Yeah, exactly. Your, your modeling career is uh, is still good. But I mean, did that, um, you know, you, you, when I was saying we were joking on Speed Week, that was the year before um, you, you had this kind of cancer scare and the tumor and stuff. That was 2017, you had your, your, your tumor scare. Um, did, um, and, and this is maybe getting a bit deep and maybe you didn't necessarily think about it, but did the perspective of that happening make you kind of think, oh, do you know what? If I do lose my hair, it, it probably doesn't actually matter that much, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. Like that kind of thing is is a good reminder. Like you can still feel hard done by about it occasionally, I think. But yeah, oh, right. for sure. You know, I, I hate it yeah. when people are like, you know, when people come along and oh, well, you're hungry. Well, there's people starving in Africa, and it's like, what relevance does that have to what I'm trying to do now? You know, just because. You know, just because I'm not suffering as badly as someone else doesn't mean I can't be suffering. I think that 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 kind of attitude really fucking pisses me off. But yeah. I guess when it's something, when it's both of those things that have happened to you personally, um, you know, it's interesting. I'm I'm very fortunate so far. I've I've not had any you know personal kind of uh, health health crisis. Well, you know, I had a bit of a bad time mentally, but that's why I'm here doing this podcast. But um, you know, physically, that's not happened. Other than you know, other than the fact that I'm losing my hair, I, I feel like I've, I've I've done quite well so far. But also because I'm so tall, people can't see the top of my head. You see, so I think, <laughs> yeah. That's an, and you look good in a cap as well, mate. So That's you're, it, mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As long as you've got nice hats. This is the thing. I spent yeah. forty quid on this hat, but you got a nice yeah. hat. People, people don't mind, mate. People don't mind. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I think if you're yeah to any to anyone out there who is starting to lose lose their hair, just just don't worry about it. There's there's plenty of uh, plenty of you know good-looking bald men out there, and especially you know me and you, you, you've you know well you you've got now got a baby mama. I've I've got a you know a long-term girlfriend, and you know I remember Heidi at the very beginning when we were you know chatting and stuff before we were together. She was like, oh, I really fancy bald men, so I was like, oh, I think I'll be alright then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got it. I think that having that um, as well, that kind of relationship security, like I think I would have been more bothered about it as well. Like if I was looking at the prospect of. Um, 
yeah, dating dating life, if you like, with oh. uh, with uh, going bald as well. But I think it is something you kind of come to terms with. I've been quite lucky that it's been a gradual kind of fitting, so I've had yeah. had a while to get my head head round it as well. Yeah, yeah, me too. It, you know, it's yeah. It, I mean, and the, the, there is a big stigma attached to it, and but I think generally, from what I've found, the the people that care more about it than anyone else are is is yourself and other other men. Women do not give a shit. You know, they really, they really don't care whether, you know, and as you said, luckily we're, we're, you know, in, in relationships and stuff like that, but usually women don't care if anything, they probably find it attractive, but you look at other, you know, you look at, our, look at our friend Ed, who has the most fertile head of hair I've ever seen on a man, you know, yeah. I'm like, can you just, can I just have like a little bit of yours, please, you know. You can't help be a bit jealous, can you? Especially when it grows so well still, like anywhere just as set from that like top front bit. That's a painful bit, isn't it? Yeah. As soon as you get an island anywhere, you need you need that's when you need to start thinking about yeah. taking Maybe the, the comb over will come back into fashion though. You never know. That's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, I do yeah, I have watched a few like period period movies recently of the, the comb over. Your yours isn't quite a comb over yet. You've still got you still got a bit of you know you're not you're not combing completely from one side to the other so you're I think you're all right mate I think you're all right yeah cheers mate yes mate okay I'll, I'll keep you updated with how it goes but I'm hoping to keep it going for a little bit longer yeah mate I think I think you got you've got at least another year but I think once it's you for the sun protection as well I'm like otherwise I'm going to be in one of those bucket hats with a chin strap on oh yeah yeah you you have a slightly paler complexion compared to a. Like mm -hmm. I, I tan, I tan quite well. You're not, you're not much of a tanner, are you? So no, no, no. I'm a bit, a bit pastier. Yeah, you are. Um, you know, kind of last sort of last sort of subject I want to get into before we do the sort of quick fire stuff. You know, going on something. Uh, you know, I said at the beginning, you've you've become a dad this year. Um, yeah. You know, did uh, you know? First of all, congratulations. I've I've met Lola. She's lovely. Thank She's you. already got more hair than you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I've heard that one a few times. Yeah, I think I think I've said that one to you a few times. Um, but I mean, what you know, how I'm I'm really interested to chat to you about this because I didn't really get a chance to talk to you when we were in Vast because obviously you know social distancing and all all that stuff. I know Valerie was being quite quite careful with Lola with all of us flying out and back and all that stuff. So I didn't really get to talk to you a lot about it. And you you know you were very busy. But um, for you coming from that kind of season air, you know, professional, you know water sports athlete kind of that carefree traveling lifestyle um what what was it like when you first found out you were having a kid um compared to now when you've actually actually got a kid you know what 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 is that like it was um crazy kind of whirlwind really because it wasn't um i mean i'm not going to say i mean we both obviously done biology lessons at school but i'm not going to say we'd like absolutely planned it that we were going to have a decided that we were going to have a baby so well it did come as a bit of a surprise even though right. yeah we knew we knew what we were doing yeah. <laughs> if you know what i mean I but, um, but then yeah obviously then it gets serious quite quickly because there's so many considerations straight away you know like and then uh, you kind of your head goes into gear with thinking about all the stuff that you're going to need that you need to sort out like how it's going to affect your lifestyle and we, we were always quite keen from the beginning that we weren't going to let it change our like um what we enjoy doing and being able to travel and stuff and now actually with the year that's just happened we haven't you know really had a chance except for going to Greece for the summer because that I mean that's effectively where we live in the summers um except for the traveling now we haven't really been able to like maintain the lifestyle that we wanted to um, yeah. um in, a, in a way she came around at a great time it was like just 
before lockdown got really serious. So you're still allowed in the hospitals and stuff like after the a few weeks after she was born, like, um, yeah, the the partners in Austria weren't were only allowed to be there for the birth. And then they had to leave. That was it. You know, there was really strict guidelines in place. So it all it came at quite a good time. And um, yeah, my family just managed to make it over to see her before the lockdowns kicked in as well. So we obviously got that out of the way. That would have been like really tough to swallow yeah. if um, if they couldn't, couldn't have met her early on. Uh, and then, yeah, having her through that period, like it, it was great because we, we had the perfect distraction, really. Yeah, it must have been. Yeah, I, I remember saying that to you. I said it must must have felt because you, you, you sent me a you sent me a picture of when, when she was born and stuff. And I it was I think it was just yeah, it was just before lockdown happened here. But then I said in Vass, like it, it must have literally been absolutely ideal of like, right, neither of us are working. We're both, you know, yeah. everyone, everyone's stuck at home. And I guess it's probably one of those things that you'll you'll look back on all throughout, you know, your life and Lola's life now and be like, how nice was that when she was born that we both got to just spend all this time with her. And even, you know, throughout the summer, like I know, you know, Vass was was very busy, but there was still less going on. And, you know, there wasn't as much, you know, there was no parties in the evening and all that. So you maybe yeah. did you not, you didn't feel that like disconnect from everyone else. Cause it wasn't like, oh, we better leave the party yeah. early because those parties weren't even happening. No, no, it definitely worked in our favor that way. That that is for sure. I mean, it was a bit of a jump to like obviously the route to Vass wasn't as normal as it could have been. And we were, you know, we couldn't um we were committed to driving. Um we couldn't go via Italy. So we had to drive the long way through um Croatia, um, Serbia, Bulgaria. Oh damn. Greece that way, which was like three full-on days of driving. So it was already then we were like you know you're weighing up beforehand like can you do that journey with a baby she's only what was she she would have been like three months old at the time um but but really we were like you know these are the kind of that's what we want to do that's our, our life we're going to do it i remember why i was chatting about it recently there's one moment where we're like feeding her we're in some service station on the outskirts of belgrade and you're questioning if you're a good parent or not yeah. but, um, <laughs> But actually, like, really grateful that we, we of course, did it and just to try to carry on living our lives, but with, but with her about. But, of course, it's, it's a change of pace. And instantly, even in those first few months, it's is, it is very, very full on having a, having a young baby to look after and, the, yeah. like, the sense of responsibility that you feel and, and all of that. But, yeah, it, of course, incredible um, memories that you're just creating all the time. Yeah. So. I guess how, yeah, does, is it kind of you know, already you've you had such a huge like perspective shift three years ago with the with the cancer scare. I mean, this this must have, you know, everyone says it completely changes, you know, who you are and what your outlook is. I mean, is that would you say that's true? Like, do you look at life definitely in a, in a kind of bit of a different way now? Or I know you said you want to keep living that lifestyle that you already had. Um, but do you kind of look at, you know, certain things differently now that you're like, well, actually, you know, I've got this human to look after probably too soon to say i think like i don't know if i do i mean you've definitely got more on your plate uh, all the time so you always got this extra like you know you struggle for those moments to like switch off and sit down watch something you know like the that 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 time so you're you're definitely like more alert and going through stuff i wouldn't say i look at anything like too differently still like to do exactly the same things and um similar aspirations as before but uh, i mean if kind of like one factor with it is you're looking at in five years, she's going to need to go to school. Yeah. So you've actually got like a bit of a structure yeah, clock ticking. Yeah. 
through like where are you going to then base yourselves you know we've been fortunate enough that we've just been able to drop in and out of our parents the last year so we haven't which has allowed us to travel when we're not in in Greece you know and um, that gets a little bit more um, tricky when you've got a, a baby with you and just like also you appreciate a bit more of your own space so you're kind of looking at your lifestyle like do you need to then commit to having a base somewhere um yeah, of course, she's going to need to go to school in five years anyway. So where where do we want to do that? You know, like, are we going to do that in Austria? Are we going to do that in England? Are we going to do that in Greece? Like all, all questions that need to like come out at some point yeah. before then. So I'm definitely looking at it as well, though, like a bit of a clock, like, right, we can still travel and do whatever we want. In the yeah, where we go. And now we're looking at it like, right, we don't have a base. We're still set up to travel, but we can't really go anywhere and we're a little bit stuck, you know? I mean, I'm sure we'll still be able to get away somewhere this winter, but it wasn't quite what we um, envisaged, envisaged, you know? We would have liked to have been in Cape Town now this time of year and yeah. something like that. I guess it, it's so it's so difficult to really judge what it's going to be like because the world's so kind of upside down at the moment anyway, isn't it? You know, it's it's kind of good, yeah. good, and, good and bad bits because you can't really you can't really settle into life like as a three anymore at the moment, can you? Because you're still kind of unsure of what that life is going to be like, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah a lot of uncertainty, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, but it must be crazy. I mean, you're, you know, for, for, for my sort of, you know, generation of people doing seasons and all that, you're, you're kind of the first one that's, that's had a kid. So I've been, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. myself and I'm sure, you know, other, other people as well have been really kind of intrigued to know, like, you know, just sort of what it's like to go from, you know, pr pretty much the most carefree lifestyle there is to suddenly, fuck, I've got this thing I need to look after, you know, all the time. Um, yeah. But actually, I, I guess it's interesting what you say about, you know, you kind of know in five years and you, you can kind of look at that, you know, negatively and positively, you know, it kind of, like you said, it gives you go, right, actually, we've got four, four years to go and do everything, you know, we wanted. Yeah. Let's take her to Maui. Let's go and, you know, anywhere. And then, and then you kind of start, you know, that, that next chapter, so whatever it is. So I guess, it's kind of nice in a way. So I know some people like it. Some people hate it actually having, having like a bit of a plan and something to, you know, yeah. move towards. Um, yeah, no, yeah. It's definitely given us like a bug that, yeah, we need to get on with it and do, do some more traveling whilst we're free. Because until she knows to, needs to go to school, we are actually pretty free still, you know? Yeah. There is a lot of like how um, I think people are scared of like how much routine babies need and that needing this and that and a set spot but we were always told by a lot of like similar minds and people that we've been you know got to know through um clavas that have had kids that actually they just you know they need their parents to be there and then they can actually be wherever you know as long as you're, you're looking after them and they're with you then they're going to be great so it was yeah. um like reassuring to connect with people as well that we knew that had had kids yeah, that must be that must be that must be nice because I guess you know there must be a bit of like a like did you have that kind of confidence thing in the start of like fuck can I actually do this or you know were you were you like now nah. you've always you've always been quite a I don't I don't want to say like super confident but you you've always been pretty sure of yourself you know whether it's like we chatted you know whether it's your windsurf career or or anything you know for for me knowing you you you've always seemed really sure of yourself do you think did you carry that into you know having a kid as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously you have doubts like anything, but but really the overwhelming side of it is, well, holy fuck, we've got to make, you've got to do your best now. You've yeah. got to absolutely <laughs> no choice, like, more than ever, you've got to be confident. You've got to make it, make it all work, you know? So exactly. that definitely drives a bit of pressure onto yourself as well. But it was, yeah, 
mostly like a whole like exciting kind of process you know and it gives you like a real sense of purpose as well yeah well that, that that must you know especially throughout it's something i say on a lot of the podcasts you know uh especially throughout this year i think a lot the reason a lot of people have suffered you know mentally and things is because they have a lack of purpose you know and i think this this podcast in a way has really really saved me this year because whilst my work has been has been really up and down this podcast has been constant like i've done at least one episode a week pretty much every week this year you know so it's yeah same same thing you know obviously my podcast i'm not comparing my podcast to your child at all but <laughs> yeah. no but you know, I know you having having a having focus, a focus yeah exactly yeah i think i think that's really really valuable um and really yeah. you know really 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 great to have just grateful that you don't have your focus at three different periods throughout the night uh two in the morning and four thirty yeah. and uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean that, that. Yeah, that that sounds like the the worst bit. I mean, I do I do like my I do like my sleep. I even find myself getting getting frustrated at the moment if I need to get up and go for a wee in the middle of the night, let alone go and <laughs> change a change a child. You know. No, we've been we've been very lucky. She slept through like the whole summer we were in Greece. She was sleeping like through through the night in the in her bed. So we we got it pretty lucky, really. It's changing yeah. a little bit now, and with the teething and everything, it is is adjusting. We're definitely awake a lot more. Yeah. Not for too many extended periods, but yeah, I don't, I think it would have been a real struggle this summer working like the season lifestyle. And then, you know, I'm not saying it's a mega stressful or busy job, but it's just full on when you're like six days a week, you're in the sun. You're, yeah. It's not necessarily full on, you know, and this is something I've, I've said in, in, you know, I did a podcast with our friends, Laura and Emily, and we chatted about season stuff and something that always really fucked me off was people going when are you going to get a real job then you know and it's like well you don't quite appreciate if you're saying that to me you really don't appreciate how much work we all actually put in for you to have this lovely holiday you know and it's it's maybe not the most serious job in the world but it's definitely full-on and I think like I I think it's it's almost really great that you had this year where it maybe I know you had a lot less staff but there wasn't the big parties you weren't planning all that sort of extracurricular side of it you know you could very much get in sort of do your lessons all that stuff and in the evening you're like right I've you know I've got this time yeah no that that was great and um, but yeah you're still like you know on top of those full-on days I'm up like at eight o'clock in the morning Valerie's teaching Pilates twice a week so you're doing all the prepping all the stuff for the day like every day before you're going to work so you're full-on for like two hours afterwards and of course yeah. all the extra stuff in the evening so if you then were not sleeping on top of that it would have been like yeah it would have been really tough I think and I'm just someone that if I'm not sleeping then I'm just going to be getting frustrated I'm going to be taking it out on people so I was really grateful that I didn't have any of that yeah definitely yeah no it's yeah super yeah I I think it's yeah it's there's good and bad bits I suppose isn't there you know the the bad bits I think I'd say the good far well far outweighs the outweighs the bad I think challenges the challenges that's a good that's a better way of saying it that's a better way it's it's very full-on in its in its own right you know it is full-time job job, isn't it yeah yeah it's crazy um so to kind of finish up then i've always got my my kind of few questions that i uh i like to um to to sort of ask my guests so um where where is your your happy place so you've you've done a lot of traveling click click your fingers right now where where are you fascinating yeah Nice. I thought you were gonna say that. Yeah, every yeah. time. You There's are. a few happy places, but that's the overriding one, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I've said it. I've said it on pretty much every podcast when I ask someone this. It's also yeah, to be to be at that beach bar after a day of windsurfing with all your mates, and there is nowhere, there's nowhere better on this earth, in my opinion. Yeah. 
um, cool, I mean, this is a question usually everyone's got some good answers to this, but as as we've just discussed, you've you've been fairly busy over the last year. Um, but you know, during during lockdown, I'm just going to do the usual spiel, and then we can talk about. It. But during lockdown, we've all had a lot more more sort of time on our hands, so we've all been watching a lot more <laughs> kind of TV and movies and things. Um, you know, I guess for you, other than watching, you know, Dora the Explorer and Paw Patrol. Um, have you been have you been watching watching anything good or is it literally you've just been caught up with uh, with looking after Lola? I'd highly recommend the wheels on the bus Coco Melon edition that is on YouTube. It's only three minutes of your day, right? Um, you can you can watch it up to ten times and it is very catchy. <laughs> yeah, I bet. We we were very grateful in September October once the season did wind down a bit and we're in vast. We watched a few seasons. I think we watched the new season of You. That was my favourite so far oh yeah i watched that i watched that this year and that's pretty it's a pretty yeah. mental tv show isn't it it is isn't it we haven't managed many though so i've definitely not not got good suggestions on that from no that's that's fine mate you've been busy uh something that you will have good suggestions on i know that you uh you also like a beer you like a little sip of the uh the amber nectar um mm. hit me hit me with some some recommendations i was saying at the beginning big big huge thanks to our our friend uh ollie mr ollie scott who is the um the the general manager at Club Vass. Um, he he sent me a, a mixed crate of uh, Camden beers. So while we've been yeah. having this, I've had the weeknight any day lager, which is very new. It's very, it's very light. It's a bit like a castle light. Is it? How strong is it? Three three percent, mate. Three oh. percent. Yeah. Nice. Weeknight. And, but, um what 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 beers have you been drinking? Obviously you, you know you spend a lot of time in Austria as well. So yeah. you've probably got some good stuff. Actually where my I'd say my favorite beer at the moment is hands down from Austria. The local Salzburg beer is um Stiegel. The gold, the gold brow, and they're actually quite like environmentally focused. So they're not like shipping worldwide, really. A lot of the production that they do seems to be in like refillable bottles. Yeah. Um. So you know, you buy your crate and you pay a deposit on the on the bottles. They do cans and stuff as well. But it's amazing, like how it's not really um available um even outside of Austria. I don't think I've ever seen it. But it is really, if you're ever in Austria and some of their snowboarding, the Stiegel is um, Stiegel is top notch. Nice. It has been good to get back to the Brewdog beers as well. I'm actually drinking now. I've got a, a one I haven't drunk until the other day, which uh, Hazy Jane, which is yeah. an IPA. I love the punks. So yeah. this was a nice little mix up on that. Big fan of them. Yeah, I like a Brewdog. I sent I sent the guys at Brewdog and I sent the guys at Brewdog and Camden an email about sponsoring this podcast. So if you're listening, can you can you please send me some beers? Uh, that would be yeah. very nice. All, all this talking is is very thirsty work. I bet um, it is. But yeah, cool. All right then, guys. Uh, that was my final episode uh, of 2020. Thank you so much, Max, for coming on. Thank you for um, for for talking about all those things. I mean, it's it's been a hell of a, a hell of a journey for you. Um, but I'm yeah, very very much looking forward to seeing you in uh, in 3D uh, at some point next year. Very good to catch up. And yeah, thank you for having me on. And yeah, going to really look forward to back listening to some of the ones I've missed and catching up with the ones that you're going to do new in the, in the new year. So yeah, keep up the good work, mate. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, those of you out there listening, thank you so much. I wouldn't be here without you. Um, if you are a fan, if you enjoy it, please like, please share, please subscribe, leave me a review on Apple podcast. You can also go to the link in my uh, Instagram bio at the after hours lounge. You can donate to the podcast as well. That keeps me keeps me doing this podcast it's a it's it's a lot of work but i'm really really enjoying it i'm very much in it uh for the outcome not the income but income always helps um but yeah thank you very much guys i'm going to be taking a couple of weeks off 
um, and going and spending Christmas with my mum. I hope you guys have a a good, safe, happy, healthy uh, Christmas and New Year. And I will see you in January. Thank you very much, guys. And see you for the next one.